You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Such a wonderful season that we celebrate. And oftentimes we are reminded, as I was just praying, and I was reminded as we were singing these songs, that that in the stillness of all that God is doing, that there is a lot of waiting that goes on in the lives of all of us, but particularly for believers as we wait for things that God is doing, things that he's promised that he will do, things that his word has said will come to pass. And God changes us and does something in the waiting if we will look for him. I'm going to ask a very rhetorical question to begin this message. and This will be the final message in our series, technically speaking, Gathered to Go. We'll step into a little bit more of some Christmas themes over the next few weeks, particularly on, if you haven't seen the schedule, we're meeting at a different time on Christmas Day, 10 o'clock, one service, and uh, then we will also be online only on New Year's Day. So I want to ask a question, but I want it to generate some critical thinking right now. In your mind, I want you to think about, have you ever done anything foolish in your life? So go ahead, let your mind start recalling some epic stupidity in your life. And I'm not talking about going to Waffle House at 2 a.m. or getting a spray tan. Those are minor things. I'm talking about stuff that maybe almost cost you your life or, or things that cost you or almost cost you a relationship. Things that maybe affected your mental or emotional health or somebody else that you are close to. Because a lot of foolish things in my life, I think about them, and what I'm asking us to do right now, and I mean, obviously don't take yourself into sin, but uh, thinking about some things that we've done foolish, and, and a lot of the things in my life that were foolish had other people involved, like groups, like a group of foolishness, right? A small group of foolishness, because nothing creates more foolish activity than a group of people that are bored standing around saying things like, I dare you to, or watch this. Like that ends up usually being something foolish. But I want you to ask yourself this, something really more important. Have you ever said or done something so foolish that it ruined your opportunity to be able to share the gospel with someone who God wanted to change their life? That it was so foolish on your part, what you said or what you did, that it ruined your ability to witness of the gospel into that situation or that relationship. When we consider what the opposite of foolish is, which is what I want to talk about today, the word wise comes to mind. Wisdom, or if you're not foolish, then the opposite, the antonym would be wise. And of course, this time of year when we say wise, we think of three men who have a song about them and bumper stickers about them and and a lot of anecdotal stories about them that probably aren't true, and we can blame that on Christmas carols or bad sermons, it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of stuff out there about wise men. We don't really know that there are three of them, and yet that's what we think. Right? The Bible never says there were three of them. There were three gifts. So we just assume, well, but your grandma gave you three gifts and there was only one of her. I'm just saying. We assume certain things about wise men and even the bumper sticker. You know the, that famous bumper sticker? 
Wise men still seek him? Okay, yes. All right, that, that, that was a bumper sticker at some point in time. And if that's the case, wise men and women still seek Jesus, you see what I did there, then there's something that God wants us to have as we seek him. That as we become the people that God has called us to be as his church in the earth. And the reason I ask this about wisdom, being men and women who seek wisdom, is because it's going to be one of the ways that we're going to be able to reach people with the love of Christ, is if we're wise. We're continuing in this series, Gathered to Go. What are we doing today? We're gathering together in the name of Jesus. That's what we're doing. All of you are here today, we are now gathered corporately in the name and under the banner of Jesus Christ to worship him, not just to have a good Sunday, not just to have a good service, not just to sing some songs to God and to glorify his name or to hear a message preached, but so that we can be equipped to go out of this place in the power of the name that we worship as we gather. Amen. So we gather to go, listen, my heart, even if this is the last message in this series, my heart has been since the beginning of this that as we move towards the end of this year and as we move into a new year, that we would be a people that are serious about gathering together in the name of Jesus and then going in the power of his name. To see the chairs that are around us empty filled. To maybe that the, the 40 people or so to make up a pledge aren't here yet, but they're waiting on, God's waiting on you to call them out of darkness along with him and invite them into the things that God's done in your life. What are we waiting on? The church, which are the people of God, people who belong to Jesus, which if you've given your life to him, that would be me and you. We have been empowered and commissioned to go and to be ministers of reconciliation. And in a very polarized world that we live in, finding common ground with other people is difficult. It's hard. We just were on an airplane flight over the last few days, and, and we'll talk, take a little bit more time to talk about this next week as I just want to recognize the hard work that Mandy and Keevan and Carla have done. But one of the things that I've always found on an airplane is that you're going to have opportunity to sit next to somebody that you probably don't know and see if there's something that God might do as you begin to share what you do. It's like, because well, that's right. Well, what do you do for a living? Or what do you do for a living? Or where are you going? Or where are you heading? And see if God will allow you to build some common ground. And we need wisdom in a very polarized world where typically we just don't want to talk to anybody. That's why we put our AirPods in. We put our heads down. That is the universal language for don't talk to me. <laughs> Last week we talked about who we are being is the most important thing about us. It's not so much that what we go and do, but it's who we are that informs and, and, and helps us to become who God has called us to be, and then that helps us do what God has called us to do. Who are we? We are people that love justice. We're people that, or that do justice, that love mercy, and that walk humbly with our God. That's the type of people we talked about last week. And if you will do justice, and if you will love mercy, and if you will walk with humility, God will intersect your life with other people's lives that are attracted to that why because the imprint of God is on them as the creator of all things and he has written his image into the hearts of men and women all over the world and when justice is done and mercy is given and humility is seen there's something in other people that don't know Christ yet that is drawn to that there's a common ground that's found as that is who we are 
And God will give us plenty of opportunity to intersect our paths with people that he wants to reach if that's who we are. People that do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. But another invaluable attribute to finding common ground with other people. Another invaluable attribute as you go out of this place and ask God to use your life to invite people into the gospel is wisdom. This is really important because wisdom helps us in areas where simply just doing what is right or wrong will not suffice. I'll say that again. Sometimes we think the issue is just, well, I did what was right or I did what was wrong. And that's all that matters, particularly when it comes to doing something right. And I know that seems odd, but it is true because I know people have said, well, I did what was right. Is that all there is? Is that the height of what God has called us to? As if the only consideration in my life that you and I have when we're making decisions is whether or not what we did was right. Whereas I think scripture informs us that our decisions go even further than just right or wrong. Now before you throw your Bible at me, let me ask you this. Have you ever done something or made a decision in your life and then going and talking to somebody or receiving some counsel, you heard this type of feedback? Well, it wasn't wrong, wasn't sin, but it wasn't wise. I propose that what we say and what we do as believers in the earth today, as those that are salt and light for those who are representing Christ for the sake of his name, must go beyond just what is right and wrong and also include wisdom. We need to be wise. If you have your Bible today, you could turn to the book of Proverbs because whenever you're talking about wisdom, you're probably going to be in the book of Proverbs for a little bit. There's a lot of scripture about foolishness and wisdom all throughout the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. We'll go through that. But it is good to have a Bible. If you need one, we can find you one and get you one. Or you can ask for one for Christmas. Right? It's good to read the word of God, to ingest and let God change us. And here's what Proverbs says about wisdom. I, wisdom, Dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. So in this passage of Scripture, wisdom is personified, right? If you have any understanding, right, of the, the English language, we can personify things like as a man or as a woman or in this case just I, wisdom. It's like it really is personified and it's talking about who wisdom, who he hangs out with, who it hangs out with. And so wisdom, as we read this, wisdom's ride or die is prudence, and what we see is it's not just what you know that is important, but that your knowledge is linked with discretion forever. Carla was asking me about some Christmas presents recently, and she said, have you heard about those forever bracelets? Like, they put them on, they're there forever. I'm like, that sounds awful. <laughs> you know, like, is that a thing? Like, yeah, like cauterized and like, like to your skin? No, no, just it's, you just can't get it off. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I'll, I'll go with a tattoo. That seems a little more safe. <laughs> and since we look at these words, both these words, prudence and discretion, seem to be non-existent in our current culture. Matter of fact, if I were to do a test right now, don't worry, you don't have to break out in cold sweats like you're about to take the SAT. I'm not going to do a test. And just say, hey, could you give me the definition of prudence? 
Could you give me the definition of discretion? I wonder how many of us could come up with an actually decent definition, and yet the Scripture's telling us this should be a part of our life. So let's define it. Prudence is conducting yourself with reason and common sense. So I can say it this way. I, wisdom, dwell together with reason and common sense. There's plenty of that to go around in our world today. And then I possess knowledge and discretion. And discretion is knowing what to say at the appropriate time. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but just think about that for a second. Think about your own mouth for just a second. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. There's some honest people in here. And somebody, you should be saying about yourself and not the person next to you, right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they need that so bad. In reading these definitions, I hope you can understand how vital it is for wisdom to be coupled with prudence and discretion, particularly if you're going to find common ground with other people that God is calling us to reach, if you're going to be committed to sharing the gospel, the Great Commission, and if you're going to be committed to being a minister of reconciliation, and those that you encounter, if you're going to be committed to that as we gather and go, you're going to need wisdom. To reemphasize, we gather to become more like Jesus so that we can go being more like Jesus. Today we gather to become more like Jesus, to worship him and to honor him. And I'm so grateful for a place and a team and a church that allows us to sing to him and to worship him with words that are rich and true so that we can be more like Jesus, so we can dig into his word and become more like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? That's where we find out about him in his word. And here's one thing we do know. He knew how to draw out reality and honesty in people's hearts. He knew how to get to where, okay, I see what you're saying, but let's get to what's really going on. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight, some translations say wisdom, draws them out. See, we can either throw a stick of truth dynamite into the hearts of other people, or we can watch, at that point, the chaos ensue as we do that, or the opposite of that, we can declare what God has done, and we can declare who Jesus is in such a way that we speak the truth in love with wisdom, prudence, and discretion, and we draw the truth out of the deep recesses of their hearts. See, that's what the scripture is saying. Listen, yeah, you can speak the truth. You can do what is right. But if there is no wisdom, you might have done more damage than you could have done good because God wanted you to use prudence and discretion and wisdom and draw out the deep recesses of what's really going on in their heart so that he can heal them. That's what God's called us to do. Think about archaeology. I mean, we can find a lot of stuff. We just go in with some dynamite. Hey, let's go over there to where Greece is, and let's just throw in some C4. Blow it all up. It's, well, yeah, we're going to unearth a lot of stuff, but we're going to break a lot of stuff. And if we would take the care, and if we would use the wisdom to use all the tools that we have, we'll unearth something of value, and we'll also keep it intact. 
Isn't that what God is saying in this scripture? That if you will use wisdom, he's going to allow you to unearth something that is valuable and not break it, keep it intact as he heals this person's broken heart and what he wants to do in their lives. Our goal and our passion should be to see people saved, not proven right. I just want to be right. I did what was right. Have you ever been around someone or maybe you've been that someone who mistakes being bold with being obnoxious? Like they have a spirit of like annoying and not the spirit of God. You can find those people on the plane too. And I'm talking about Christians. Like they're sharing the gospel so loud because it's hard to talk in a plane anyway. And they're like, I want everybody to know this is the time for all of y'all to get saved. It's like, dude, what is that? That's not Jesus. Again, if we look at the life of Jesus, we don't see him as repulsive, hateful. He was truth personified and yet still full of love and mercy and compassion and grace. All at the same time. So again, I'll say our goal and passion is to see people's lives changed, not see me made right. Like, oh yeah, I got proven right here. Back in the early 2000s, we used to have a men's breakfast here at In Focus Church every month, once a month. I'm grateful that we don't do that anymore, but we had a men's breakfast recently. It was an amazing time. I'm just not down for it every month just yet, but we had some older gentlemen that really wanted to do it every month. They were heaven bent on having it every month, no matter what, and we did. And at these men's breakfast times, we also had a time of testimony every single time. And at times I love testimony, but other times I'm ready to go home, brother. And, and I've heard you give that testimony 64 times over the last 64 men's breakfasts. I've, I, I, ask somebody that's been around a little bit. Ask Don. It, it's true. But one of our older members who was at every single one of these men's breakfasts and shared his testimony at every single one of these men's breakfasts, pretty much ended his testimony with his favorite verse. And it's a powerful verse. This story has really nothing to do with the verse, except I just wanted to set it up this way. <laughs> Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. See, wise is something that is personified here as something like winning souls. And literally that means you capture somebody's life with your life. And you can, here's the thing, it can be for good or bad. You can capture somebody's life with the bad side of your life. Or you can capture somebody's life with the good fruit in your life. And here's what I mean by that. When the fruit of your life is seen by other people, are they attracted to take that and eat of it and taste and see that the Lord is good? Or is it something that they would not be wanting to take a bite of because it's rotten fruit hanging from a tree? And this is what I'm saying. If you're going to be wise, literally your life is going to capture somebody else's life with your life. What is going on? So if we truly want to be going people who win hearts and minds for Jesus, then we desperately need wisdom. Why? Because people and culture are so complex. It's not just so cut and dry about everything. There is some nuance to life. There's some wisdom that is needing in how we communicate and what we say and when we say it. 
See, you could be talking to someone and they'd be telling you that they don't believe in Jesus because of all this rational thought. But then when you take the time and you use wisdom and you get to the deep recesses of their heart, you see that their reasons are very emotional and not rational at all. Guess what it takes to get to the bottom of this well called someone's heart and mind? Wisdom. Wisdom draws it out. In case you were wondering, the greatest apostle of all time, the apostle Paul, admonished and implored believers, so this would include us today, to not just tell the truth of the gospel. Don't just do what is right, so to speak. Don't just speak the truth, period, but communicate it in such a way that loves people and honors God. I have heard so much truth spoken in a way that does not honor God that it is not wise. Colossians 4, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And here's the other, I'll say this side note. Making the most of every opportunity doesn't mean that you sign, seal, deliver everything in that moment. Like, I got to get them saved, sanctified, delivered, and all of that right here in this moment. We might even get them baptized if we have to go back to the toilet on the back of the plane. Like what? You, you might be planting the seed. You might be watering the seed. You might just be giving a little sunlight to the seed. You don't have to do it all so that you can have some sort of notch in your salvation belt. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be sometimes full of grace. Always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Who are the outsiders? And if you say Pony Boy Dallas or Johnny, you're old. And if you don't know who those people are, you haven't watched the movie The Outsiders. I mean, just go look it up. I've never seen so many stars that weren't stars at the time that are now stars today in one movie Ever. All right, I'm done with that. The outsiders, really, not the movie, the outsiders are anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's what they say. Those that are on the outside of the faith. Those that are on the outside of the Christian faith. And Paul is saying every opportunity that you find to get common ground with those people around you that don't know Jesus so that you can share the gospel, he wants you to make most of every opportunity so that outsider can become an insider. And if that's going to happen, you better be sure to walk in wisdom. That should be our immediate prayer. Listen, here's a prayer. God, help me not to say anything in such a way that would hinder you doing the work that you want to do in this person's heart. Because wise people are not just known by the words they speak, but by the way they speak. I think we all know by now that our natural default in this world is not wisdom. We're not naturally inclined to doing wise things. Our natural human inclination is to be foolish, to be proud, to be a scoffer, to be unrighteous. Those are all kind of synonyms, if you will. And all of those, which are the exact opposite of being wise, the Bible is very clear when we operate that way, act that way, respond that way, that it brings about bigger problems. Also, wisdom is available Scripture says, to those who ask for it. 
Not just all who know a lot of stuff. Wisdom isn't just available to all of us who might read a little bit more than somebody else or go to school a little bit longer than somebody else or, or live a little bit longer than somebody else. That's not the prerequisite for wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do all of those things. You should. But here's what Scripture says. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I'm going to just say all of us lack wisdom, then let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So if it's freely given and we desperately need it, why is it in such short supply? Are we making this a priority in our prayers? This is what I thought of. How often are you praying when you're asking God in your day that God would give you wisdom in your decisions, wisdom in your interactions, wisdom in all the things that he is going to bring across your path? Are we making this a priority in our prayers to God? Is Jesus the fountain of our lives as we've been singing? Because as disciples who are to make disciples, the plan hasn't changed. So if you're feeling insecure, like, well, I just don't know if I'm able about your abilities because we have coupled wisdom with intelligence and that isn't necessarily what that means at all or wisdom with knowledge. And here we're looking at Scripture and it says, no, wisdom looks like this and knowledge, yes, goes along with it. But remember this. If you're feeling insecure about your abilities, remember the first disciples that Jesus called. Many were uneducated, untrained, Blue-collar workers, if you will. But Jesus is consistently choosing the lowly, the least, and the last in contrast to cultural norms. So God calls us by his grace, not by our knowledge and our talents. And again, this doesn't mean that I can just be lazy and it's like, well, good. I'll just be a dumb-dumb the rest of my life. God will still use me. No. No, absolutely not. We're to get into God's word. We're, and here's what I'm saying. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ that you would pray for wisdom. As you read God's word, God, let me have wisdom to understand what you're saying to me. As I talk to this person, let me have wisdom to know how to communicate properly. Because in a super contentious, polarized time, God wants to use us. And the way that we're going to be used is for us to be wise. It's not any different. It was a very super contentious and dangerous time for Jesus' disciples as well. Many of them were going to die for their faith. And Jesus encourages them with these words in Luke chapter 21, verse 15. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Man, when I read that, that is a powerful amazing scripture right there why because God is powerful and amazing that's who he is that's how he is willing to work through us even in our in our contentious and polarized world see walking in the way of wisdom takes effort it takes faith and it takes a desire by us to do so do the people's lives? here's the question do the people's lives around you deserve us asking and praying God to fill our lives with wisdom? The answer is unequivocally yes. 
the people's lives around you that are outsiders right now that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to make insiders deserve you asking and praying for wisdom and diligently walking in it with prudence and discretion? Think about how Jesus sent out his disciples in the first place. I've always thought about this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. What are wolves? Wolves are like, they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to attack. They're not like laying back, just, you know, being nice and say, oh, well, maybe I'll just have a nice wolf day. No, like this, this is not a good thing. You're going into a contentious, polarized, dangerous world, if you will. In different contexts, this looks very different. Then he says this, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You ever read that scripture? It's like, I always think of snakes as a bad thing. Why is Jesus telling us to be like that? In a polarized, contentious world that is hostile towards the gospel, that's hostile towards the truth of God's word many times, how can we remain those who bring the gospel of peace and not become predatory ourselves? In using these similes, Jesus invokes this common proverbial view of a serpent and a dove. The serpent was subtle, the serpent was crafty, the serpent was shrewd. In Genesis 3.1, that's what we see. And the dove, on the other hand, was thought of as innocent and harmless. As a matter of fact, when you'd see a dove throughout Scripture, it would signify a, a symbol of peace. And a snake was thought of as something that was sneaky but if you look at Matthew 10, 16, in this particular passage, in context, it's really showing that Jesus was really only invoking the positive aspects of being like a serpent, if you will. Not the serpent in the garden, but the, the crafty side, if you will, the, the side that is shrewd. There's no hint of like baggage from Eden that he's unloading on this title right now to his disciples. He's simply telling them to be wise and innocent as they represent him as they bring glory and honor to his name see when jesus told the 12 disciples to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves he's laying down this general principle if you will i love how a lot of the commentaries talk about this this is about a technique if you will in the kingdom of god as we take the gospel into a hostile world we have to be wise which means we avoid the snares that are set out for us that's what we're saying listen don't take the bait that's the reality of, if you want to be wise, as shrewd as a serpent, don't take the bait. What's the bait? To get you into that argumentative situation that is going to ruin your ability to witness the situation. Don't take the bait. He is, Satan is the, the premier fisherman, if you will, when it comes to us taking the bait and us getting hooked in a very difficult, bad situation. So we, we go into this wise, avoiding the snares that are set for us, and we're also innocent, which means that we serve the Lord blamelessly. Our actions and our words bring honor to God's name. Jesus was not suggesting that we stoop to deception, but that we should model some of the shrewdness in a positive way. Wisdom does not equal dishonesty, and innocence does not equal gullibility. So what does it look like? Each week I've tried to equip us with something very practical because very practically I want us to go out of here and be known as a church that gathers to go. 
Because then next week, I want to see somebody that, because you were willing to go, is willing to now come and see that the Lord is good. And so as we do this, I've tried to give us some practical things as it relates to going after we've gathered to equip us. So today, before we go, real quickly, I want to give you just some traits and some scriptures that are coupled with them. It's really just going to be a, almost a, a survey of Proverbs a little bit. Credit, credit to Dr. Rice Brooks, his Bible study called Common Ground. But some of these are going to sound familiar because they've been mentioned already during this series. So here's one. One who is wise is one who listens. One who is wise is one who listens. We can hear what God is saying as well as what the other person that we're talking to is saying only when we are listening. Proverbs, I told you when you talk about wisdom, you're going to be in Proverbs a good bit. Chapter 18, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. <laughs> Just put that on the top of your Facebook page. Put that on the top of your Instagram profile. Put that on the top of your Twitter feed. Put that on your car. Proverbs 17, a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Man, I don't know, y'all sometimes, y'all read scripture, it just, it kind of hits you in the face in a very powerful way. Make you keep your mouth shut a little bit longer. One Here, secondly, one who is wise is one who is slow to anger. One who is wise is one who listens. One who is wise is one who is slow to anger. When you strongly disagree with somebody or somebody strongly disagrees with you, what's your first response? How do you respond? I'm not speaking to you as someone who has conquered this. I'm speaking to you as one who battles this. James 1 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Then back to Proverbs, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. I know in my own life and in the lives of others that I've seen who deal with being hot-tempered, it never works out very well. Thirdly, one who is wise is one who is not quarrelsome. This is typically the next progression after you've gotten angry, then you get into a quarrel. And quarrelsome is kind of like a dated word, so it's like seems too soft to me. Oh, don't be quarrelsome. Like, so it's, it's kind of lost some of its bite, if you will. So maybe a verbal war is better. Or how about argumentative? One who is wise is, is one who is not contentious, confrontational, combative, antagonistic, ready to fight. 2 Timothy 2, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, ready to fight, antagonistic, combative, confrontational, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope, here's why wisdom is needed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's the goal here for wisdom as we gather to go. It's not so that, that we hope that, that we get it right or that they get it right. It's so that they can have repentance that creates something in their heart where they're led to Jesus. And then lastly, one who is wise is one who speaks graciously. As those who've received grace, we're supposed to be those who give grace 
more than anybody. God gives us the wisdom to speak graciously so that our conversations are full of grace, not just full of it. Colossians 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see this theme over and over again, and then back to Proverbs. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. That's kind of an odd scripture, but here's what I think it means, and I could be wrong, but I think it means no matter whose presence you're in, no matter whose presence you have the privilege of being in, somebody that has a lot of influence, that's popular, that's, that's got a lot of notoriety and notability, like a king, or whether it's somebody that nobody else knows except God. The lowliest of the low, if you will. It does not matter who you find yourself in the company with that God has intersected your life with. But what does matter is that you understand that wisdom will be needed as we share the gospel with them in such a way that builds common ground with them, that builds trust with them, and it honors God all at the same time. Listen, I want us in focus to be a church that is known for being wise. That's who we are. That when people think of us, that they think of you, that they don't just think of a multi-ethnic, multicultural, uh, multi-generational church, but they think of people that love Jesus and that are wise about how they communicate their love for Jesus. That we, we're known for listening well, that we're known for not being quick-tempered, that we're known for not looking for fights and being argumentative, but that we're looking for ways to be gracious in our conversation as we look for God to intersect our lives with people that are on the outside that he wants to bring onto the inside and he wants to use your life to do so. So be gentle as doves and wise as serpents as you go in the power of his name. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.